Hi, everyone. We're conducting an audience survey, and we'd be really grateful if you could take just a few minutes and answer a few questions. Please visit survey.prx.org happiness to take the survey today. That's survey.prx.org happiness. Thank you. The Science of Happiness is brought to you by Progressive, one of the country's leading providers of auto insurance. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you say what kind of coverage you're looking for and how much you want to pay, and Progressive will help you find options that fit within your budget. Use the Name Your Price tool and start an online quote today at Progressive.com. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The day started with me waking up and deciding I wasn't going to go to school. I went and found my friend who also never went to school. And we were trying to figure out ways to get money for drugs. So I went with him to the Hollywood Hills to find a backer. Backer pull out car stereo. We climbed into this Mercedes and it didn't have a backer, but we were just looking for something we could steal. And the owner pulled up and he was an off-duty LAPD. So I was feeling some fear around what it's gonna be like in jail. Yeah, I found out right away. The LAPD came and picked us up and took us to the Hollywood substation. So they couldn't find my parents. So then they took me to a holding cell. So it was my first time in a cell. Chained to a bench and they, you know, I probably was chained to that bench for another eight hours. It got cold, it got damp. You know, all I know is I'm never getting out. I broke into some car. I'm pretty sure that means I'm doing life in prison. I don't have nothing to compare it to. The cops are merciless, so they're not giving me any kind of comfort. They're like, hey, don't worry about it, buddy. It was really dark, really lonely, really scary time. Just like the darkest night of my life. You know, the dark night of the soul. I was nine years old. Since that night in jail, Stephen Sifra spent the better part of two decades in and out of prison, eight of those in solitary confinement. He's now a graduate student at UC Berkeley and mentors other previously incarcerated students through an initiative on campus called Underground Scholars. Stephen joins us today as our happiness guinea pig. I'm Dacher Keltner, and in each episode of our Science of Happiness podcast, we focus on a different research-tested practice for increasing happiness, resilience, kindness, and connection. And we have a guest like Stephen try out that practice and tell us about their experience. And then we explore the science behind it. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. So the happiness practice you chose to do is something called the self-compassionate letter. Why did you choose to do that one? I'm really hard on myself a lot. And, you know, it's a academic mental exercise to figure out why I shouldn't do that. But if you live in self-loathing, you can read all the books you want on self-compassion. It doesn't add up to anything. So I don't have a lot of self-compassion, but it's a skill like any other. So I wrote a letter to me as if I wasn't me, but if I was somebody else who I was mentoring, what I would say to somebody who had this problem. And I, I am a mentor to some people, so I have a little uh, bit of experience talking people down. Yeah, I'm really curious how, I mean, one of the really interesting things about self-compassion is the perspective that you adopt on your shortcomings or failings or things that were embarrassed or ashamed about, what was the perspective on that that you took? Well, usually when I'm trying to find guidance, I hear my own mentor's voice. His name's Larry. He's a uh, retired English professor. You know, he's basically the dad I always wanted. Yeah. You know, really kind and warm and 
loving and gay and generous. He's a Shakespeare scholar, and I love Shakespeare. Shakespeare got me through prison. So, Stephen, would you share part of the letter with us? You are not inadequate. The fact is, everyone feels scared at some point in their lives. Most people feel inadequate at times. That you experience these feelings daily, constantly, and can still show up for your family and community and for yourself is a more accurate measure of who you are. People are not defined by their feelings or actions. But if you must know yourself as something, you should know that you are as deserving of feeling okay as anyone. You are as qualified to take credit for your life as anyone. Sure, you and your benefits and resources, even internal resources, are derived from the past efforts of others. So then say that. Say to yourself and to those unfortunates who try to compliment you, thank you. You could have chosen differently. Coming out of the childhood that you had, and I have so much admiration for where you are today, you could have chosen a lot of different practices, right? But you chose self-compassion. This is what Larry would say to me. Uh, He says it a lot, and that is that... And these are my words, but his, his idea, and that is that I had a rough going and that I didn't get what I had coming to me, which was care and security and the kinds of things we give children. And that had an effect on me that is going to be a part of me for the rest of my life and that I can, in understanding that, I can... I guess, give myself a break. So um, when you wrote the self-compassion letter and you took in his voice and kind of put it to word, uh, what happened? How did it make you feel? Well, I'll say that when I wrote it, I turned everything off. Yeah. Um, So it was was pretty academic. Uh Uh-huh. What things were you turning off to get through the prose? Well, just my, my emotional availability. Yeah. I'll say when I read it for the recording... Then I felt some emotional stirrings. Yeah. I did imagine that someone, as I mentioned, Larry, just shows up. You know, he's the little angel on my shoulder, and I don't really have a devil on the other shoulder. I am the devil. And so it's just Larry. That's all I got. You know, when you engage in these self-compassion practices, you get a sense of where you are connected to larger humanity. Did those kinds of thoughts move through your mind? Just taking an easier look at your failures or sensing a deeper connection to kindred spirits? I mean, I have what you're describing is spiritual maturity, right? It's understanding that we're all having the human experience and we have redeemable things and we have things that suck. And, you know, like my mom was not a great mom. And so I constantly trying to find a way to be generous with that. Like, you know what? She had a really rough time growing up. So one of the really interesting things to hear you talk about tough childhood, on the run from the cops, getting out of school, you're in prison, is when you come out, there is this wonder about outside. And it almost sounds like when we study on our lab, people are amazed by the details of life. Do you feel that? Is there like a wonder at everyday life that you feel comes from first being inside and now being outside? For the most part, like I, for almost all the time, I'm just uh, marveling in the ordinary. Like it's especially in the morning. You know, once I got out of prison, I was like, this life thing is scary. But there's never a moment in any day where I don't lose the gratitude of like seeing grass or a squirrel or a cat or standing in Safeway. I, one of my favorite things to do 
is to be behind somebody in Safeway who's impatient. <laughs> because somebody's writing a check or using their WIC checks or, you know what I mean, has yeah. three kids or is old. And it's like, oh, my God, like this person is standing in a historically significant moment in time where they can walk into a room that's filled with ingredients from all over the world for dirt cheap <laughs> and make any kind of cuisine they want for five bucks and they're mad. How disconnected from reality can you be? Yeah, absolutely. There's this great emotion that we study in the science of happiness called elevation, which is about when you're inspired by other people and where they come from and what they do. And, you know, the work that you do in many different realms elevates me and many people here. So thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks for saying that, Dacker. I appreciate it. If you want to try the self-compassionate letter practice and other practices like it, You'll find simple instructions at our website, Greater Good in Action. That's ggia.berkeley.edu. Hiring the right team for your business can be a long and arduous process. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com happiness. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com happiness. Indeed.com happiness. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Where can you shop for Gucci, Rolex, and more iconic luxury brands up to 90% off retail? The Real Real. A trusted source for authenticated luxury consignment, The Real Real has stores in Chicago, LA, New York, and San Francisco, where you can shop women's and men's luxury fashion and accessories, fine jewelry, watches, art, and home decor. Visit in person to discover things you'll only find in store. Plus, chat with in-store experts who can answer any of your questions. Take advantage of curbside pickup and more store services from expert repairs to personal styling. It's a luxury experience you won't get anywhere else. New shoppers get $25 off their first purchase. For locations and hours, visit therealreal.com store. Visit The Real Real today. So what does writing a self-compassion letter do? How can it actually improve your well-being and happiness? Studies show that people who respond with compassion to their own flaws and setbacks, rather than beating themselves up about them, they experience greater physical and mental health, and they seem to bounce back more easily from stress and challenges. Joining me today to talk about the science of self-compassion is my colleague at UC Berkeley, Professor Serena Chen, who has studied self-compassion for years. Serena, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So. Serena, today we're going to talk about self-compassion, which, you know, in the science of happiness has really become a mini-movement unto its own. How do you define self-compassion? It's about being kind and understanding to yourself, like you would to a friend, so that resonates easily with people. A second part is really recognizing that we are all human and we're all similar and that we all make mistakes. You know, bad things happen. They're inevitable. Um, and that makes us all similar. It's a connecting sort of experience, bad things. And then the third part is sort of more emotional in the sense that it's about 
sort of striking a balance between absolutely acknowledging when something bad happens that it's bad, you know, not ignoring that it sort of sucks and it doesn't feel good, but not getting, not overreacting, not, you know, overblowing the negativity. So some sort of balanced sense of what's going on. Pretty timely today when you think about all the pressure on people and the anxiety and Absolutely. people face. Yeah. Yeah. So as you bring self-compassion into the lab, tell me about some of its benefits. What's one of your key findings, you think, in the experimental study of self-compassion? Yeah, so one of our key findings is showing that you can experimentally induce self-compassion and lead people to be more motivated to improve. So to give you just one example, in a study we had everybody have a failure experience. They all failed this test that was really hard. And then half the people got put in a self-compassion condition where they were sort of told, oh, this is a test. A lot of people fail tests. You know, this is a common experience for this test. Or in a self-esteem condition, they were told, you know, even though this test might have been hard, you must be really smart since you're here at Berkeley. And then all participants were given an opportunity to take another test, and they were given unlimited time to prepare for the test. We find that people in the self-compassion condition who were reminded everyone fails at times studied longer for wow. this subsequent test than those who actually were reminded how smart nice. they are. So what that study shows is in a real behavioral, concrete way, is that when people treat themselves compassionately in the face of failure, they're actually motivated to do better the next time. One recent study you focused on regret. Yes, we did. I love that study because in the middle of life, yes. the regrets start <laughs> right. appearing. We have people recall um, in vivid detail something negative, something they would see as negative, some sort of setback in their life, a challenge, a failure, what have you. It's totally self-defined. It needs to matter to people themselves. And we have them you know, speak to themselves or write to themselves in a self-compassionate way as if you were speaking to a friend. How would you respond compared to a self-esteem condition where we tell them to respond to that setback in a way that validates their positive qualities. People report greater acceptance of their regret, that this is something that happened, that they were responsible for, and greater desire to not let that regrettable experience repeat itself. And this is something that you don't see happening in the self-esteem condition. Right. So it's not just making people feel happy or good about themselves, right? It's really a unique effect that has to do with being self-compassionate. One of the really interesting dimensions to the self-compassion science is, you know, in your experiments, you have people take on the voice of a friend in looking at the self. Why do you do that? Well, there's two reasons, at least. Um, one of them is that people are much better or more experienced at being kind and understanding to other people, to friends. Yeah. And so it makes the task easier. But the other reason that I think it's effective is has a lot to do with how when you sort of step away from first-person perspective, right. you take right. sort of a third-person perspective, yeah. you're dampening down the emotionality of the experience, all the negative affect um, yep. that you could feel. You're able to literally distance yourself, have a calmer, more balanced perspective. So I think it helps in that cognitive, emotional way as well to, yeah. you know, look at the situation from somebody else's perspective. Pretend you're looking at it outside of yourself. Thanks for being here, Serena. Thanks for having me. Serena Chen is a professor of psychology at UC Berkeley. Her research focuses largely on close relationships and intergroup relationships, and she has also conducted some of the key studies on self-compassion. 
Now, the science of self-compassion is a relatively new field, but so far, studies are pretty clear in showing that being kinder to yourself will reap huge benefits. And in each episode of our podcast, we'll spotlight science-backed practices like the self-compassionate loader that you can do to help boost your happiness. I'm Dacher Keltner. Thanks for joining me for The Science of Happiness. In our next episode, author Kelly Corrigan discovers some surprising things about her husband. I couldn't believe how many of the 36 (laughs) things I didn't know. Join us to learn about the 36 questions that can bring you closer to your partner, friends, or even strangers. Our podcast is a co-production of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and PRI. Produced in coordination with Jenny Cataldo and Ben Manila from BMP Audio. Our producer is Jane Bach. Executive producer is Jason Marsh. Our original music is by David Michelle Ruddy. Funding for the Science of Happiness comes from the donors to the Greater Good Science Center and from PRI donors, including Javier Escobedo and Bego Lozano. You can learn more about the science of happiness and find related articles, videos, quizzes, all kinds of stuff on our website, greatergood.berkeley.edu. And shoot us an email. Tell us what you think about what you heard. Send it to greater at berkeley.edu.